Go with me, if you would, in your Bibles this morning to I'm going to go to a few passages of scriptures. Go to with me to to the book of John, the nineteenth chapter. This is a Holy Spirit conference, and I felt I felt this morning. Really, if you, if you really want to know what the, to the service this morning and tonight, you you can. You can title this from the cross to Pentecost. Because how many know everything begins at the cross? Come on, how many know everything starts at the cross? And there's people going around talking about how, you know, because we're saved, we need to move on from the cross. But that's, (laughs) everything we do has its foundation. Everything we believe always has its foundation in the cross. Amen? Hallelujah. You You know what the cross is? The cross is a symbol to the world of God's love. So we, I don't want to share some things with you this morning, and we're going to get in the subject of, of healing, get in the subject of redemption tonight into the Holy Ghost, because the title is From the Cross to Pentecost, and you're going to see some things this morning by the, the Holy Ghost, by the help of the Holy Ghost, and I promise you this, you'll never talk sickness and disease again after, the, after this morning, amen? You'll never talk defeat again, and you'll, you'll see in the name of Jesus, you'll leave here this morning knowing who you are. Because understand something, God did, God did not call us to just to ma- barely make it. God called us to rule and to reign. Listen to me, God's called every single one of you to rule and to reign in this life. The very power that Jesus walked in is the very power that's upon us. The very authority that Jesus had is the very authority that's upon us because we are the body of Christ in the earth. And we are to advance the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. Understand something, forces of darkness cannot with. They cannot overcome you. They can. They, they, listen to me. They cannot defeat you. Demons actually are scared of you. They know it, but you just don't know it. But that's going to change in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for this week. Lord, we thank you for this service. Lord, I thank you that every single person here under the sound of my voice, Lord, I thank you for divine revelation and impartation. In the name that's above every name. Lord, I thank you that this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, these Saturday, Sunday, Lord, I thank you that every night, Lord, that, that your precious, precious, precious Holy Spirit walk up and down each aisle and in between each row and touch the hearts and the bodies of those that are, that are present. Lord, I thank you that your word becomes alive this week. Lord, and I thank you that more than anything, that your precious Holy Spirit paint on the canvas of each heart the true picture of who our Lord Jesus is. And Lord, we give you all the glory and all the honor in the mighty, 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 mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. John, the 19th chapter. I would love to read the whole thing, but for time's sake we won't. But John, the the 19th chapter. We'll start with verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciples, behold thy mother. And from that hour, that, that disciple took her unto his own home. Verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. Now, I want you to understand a number of things here this morning. Seven things Jesus said on the cross. The very last thing that Jesus said on the cross is probably the three greatest, most powerful words that ever uttered from the mouth of any individual, any human. And they was uttered from the Son of God. He uttered these words, It is finished. Say that with me. It is finished. I want you to notice Jesus did not say, I am finished. 
Jesus said, it is finished. Now, there's a lot of things that we can get into with these three words, these three powerful words. But this is, listen to me, these are three words that every single one of you that has called upon the name of the Lord Jesus must come into an understanding of. If you're going to walk in victory, if you're going to walk in power, if you're going to walk in redemption, if you're going to walk full of the Holy Ghost, you have to understand the importance of these three words. It is finished. When you understand these words, I promise you, you'll never fear anything again in your life. You'll never fear any form of darkness. You'll never fear any devil. You'll never fear nothing. Because God did not call his church to be a defeated church. He called us to rule. He called us to reign. He called us to take back. He called us to advance his kingdom. But it starts with these three words. It is finished. Now there's a lot that we can get into. But one of the things that he's talking about here, one of the things that he's talking about is when it came to the covenant, the old covenant, meaning it's come to a close. The Abrahamic covenant has come to a close. He has become the mediator of a new covenant. And because he's become the mediator of a new covenant, we are no longer have our sins covered, but our sins have now become washed away, washed in his blood. And the temple that God lived in has now been torn from top to bottom. And God has moved out of a temple made with human hands into the hearts of those who call upon him. No other religion can say what you and I can say. Only Christianity can say, my God lives in me. No other religion can say that. No other religion can, listen to me, no other religion can say the God that I worship came and gave his life for me. No other religion can say the God that I worship came and took upon flesh. He came and was scourged and was beaten and was whipped and was nailed to a cross and went to hell for me, took upon my iniquity. He bore it so that I can have his life. No other religion can say that. Understand, we are the church of the living God. We don't serve a God that's dead. He's alive. And we are washed in his blood. Oh, we must understand the blood. But we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. Do you understand well, what that means? We are washed in the blood of the... Now, I know some of you, that's my, that's my southern accent. You're trying to understand what's washed. <laughs> okay, washed. <laughs> I can't even say it. Why? <laughs> You're going to learn a new word this week, washed. Everybody say washed. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> But we have to understand the power of the blood. Listen, not only did the blood free us, not only did the blood wash us, but the blood protects us. Amen. That's why every day you plead the blood. Come on, that's why every day when you send your kids off to school that you plead the blood. Amen. Because he's the God. He's the God that redeems our life from destruction. We don't live like the world lives. We don't think like the world thinks. The world tries to do everything in, the, in their own strength, in their own power, and they can't. So that's why they are cheating still. But our faith and our trust is in a God that describes himself 48 times in the word of God, the God that is more than enough. Amen. Oh, he's more than enough. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, in the name of Jesus, you're going to rise up and you're going to be everything that God's called you to be. And it starts this week in the name that's above every name. Seven things Jesus said on the cross. 
One of the things that I do on a regular basis, I have not this week because I've actually forgot them, but I take communion on a regular basis. I try to do it every day. The Bible says as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And it would just hit me one time when the, the, the Lord showed me, revealed it to me. When you read in Corinthians chapter 11, when the Lord, when, when he took upon that bread and took that cup, the bread represents his body, the blood represents his blood that he's about ready to shed. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you hold that communion, every time you hold it in your hand, every time you look down on that bread, it represents his body, and you're supposed to remember what it is that he did. Every time you see that cup, you remember that it's his blood that was shed. Amen. And, and, and the cry of my heart, I just don't want to give mental assent to the things of God. I want it to become real to me. I want it to become real to me. That way when I even open my mouth to talk about it, everybody feels it. That's what revelation is. Because the problem we face today in the church, the problem we face amongst preachers is that they got too much information. They're, they Information, 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 information. They got information, but they don't know. I'm not interested in you, to, you gaining information. I'm interested in you having a face-to-face meeting with God. It's not knowing about God that's going to make the difference. It's you having a face-to-face meeting with him. Well, you know him. Not know about him, but you know him. I'm I'm about ready to take off. I feel like I need to get in a phone booth. I feel like Superman. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. There's none like him. There's none like our Lord. And I want to know him. I don't want. I just don't want to know about him. I want to know him. I mean, when you get into the Holy Ghost, man, you, you're talking about power. You're talk, listen, you're talking about power. I, I was going to share this later this week, but I'll share it now. I have a friend of mine. He's gone home to be with the Lord now. He, he, was, he was Dennis Tenorino was his name. If you, anybody here ever in the bodybuilding, he, he was... Uh, Mr. World, Mr. Universe, Mr. Everything. I think he got second, third place to Mr. Olympia. <clears throat> but the years Arnold Schwarzenegger won. They were good friends. And he, he actually, with his bodybuilding, he actually was actually a, a pimp as well. And he had one of the biggest prostitution rings in Los Angeles. And he got caught and he was, went to jail and he's going to serve years in jail. And another bodybuilder, friend of his, who, who's going to Bible school, flew out there to talk to him, to get him saved. And, he, he, and then he, as he began to talk to him, he began to prophesy, and he said, you're going to be out of here in three days. And he sort of like cussed him out. He said, you, you, don't, you and your God, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand the time that I'm looking at serving. Three days later, he's out. And he makes a phone call. He said, my God, this guy's name is Ray. Raise God Israel. I got to know him. He called him. He said, what school are you at? I got to come and know your God. He said, I'm in Oklahoma. He got on a plane, flew to Oklahoma. And long, 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 long story short, gave his life to Jesus. And, And then he heard about the Holy Ghost. He said, I want this Holy Ghost. And so, so he goes, so the next day, my, uh, the guy takes, Ray takes, takes Dennis and to meet with Dr. Kenneth E. Hagan. And Kenneth E. Hagin sits him down in front of him in a chair in front of his desk. And he opens up his Bible and he reads his Bible for a whole hour just on the subject, just on scriptures on the Holy Ghost. After an hour, he shuts his Bible and he said, I'm going to come up and I'm going to lay my hands upon you. And when I lay my hands upon you, the power of God's going to come on you. You're going to start speaking tongues. He gets up over his desk and goes and lays his hands on him. The power of God comes on him. He starts speaking in tongues, but the Holy Ghost picked him up in the air and threw him back and forth about three minutes in the room. I mean, he's off four, uh, four or five feet off the ground, throws him back and forth. And, and, and after, he, after the Holy Ghost just throws him back and forth, he drops him. In the middle of the in the middle in the middle of the office, the floor, because you know he's a bodybuilder and he knew he's you know he was you know everything you know. I mean, the people who come sit in front of an hour, 
sit in front of her mirror for hours looking at himself. <laughs> Nothing wrong with it. I mean, I'm, I'm a bodybuilder too. I use a fork every month. That's my weight, a fork. <laughs> I swing golf clubs. <laughs> now, listen, I don't, I, listen, I'm not against any of that. I believe in that. Fine. Everybody should work out. But he, he was just so into himself and literally thought he was like the strongest guy there was. But after the Holy Ghost picked him up and threw him back and forth, and the Holy Ghost dropped him in the middle of the, the, middle of the office on the floor, and, and, and Dennis said this. He said, I heard an audible voice. The Holy Ghost said to me, now who's the strongest? And, and from that day on, he was radical for Jesus. He, 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 I mean, God called him and eventually ended up being a prophet of God. I mean, mighty, mighty thing. God used him in an awesome way. And, but my point is this. You just don't know who you really are. Once you come into an understanding of, of the three great words, it is finished, and know exactly what it means, and know exactly what happened to you, Nothing will stop you. And your life will change and everybody you come in contact with will change. Everybody. There's a reason why the prophet outran a chariot of horses. There's a reason why David, who was just a teenage red-headed boy, defeated a mighty giant who was an offspring of demons. The reason why just one rock, he took out this mighty warrior. It wasn't his strength. It was what was backed behind the rock. It was what was backed up behind his faith. Because he said, who is this uncircumcised man that would defy the armies of the living God? See, I'm going to say something. David, David, by the Holy Ghost, was able to take out a lion and is able to take out a bear you can't do that in natural strength but when you hook up to the one who's on the inside of you nothing will stop you and that's what this week is about this week is about you understanding you learning who you are getting a fresh fire a fresh touch from the holy ghost getting filled all over again because just because you got filled with the holy ghost one time don't mean you're filled now there's one initial baptism, but there's many refillings. Amen. And God's got a purpose and God's got a plan for every single one of you. I told Pastor Kevin yesterday, driving in the car, all we did yesterday, all we did is eat. I mean, we ate. I mean, we just ate and we ate and we ate. <laughs> That's why I like him. <laughs> he took me to this little hole in the wall place, and I'm like, I leaned over to Pastor Veronica and I said, you know where he took, where me and Pastor Kevin went yesterday? That little hole in the wall barbecue place? And I'd like to go there again. <laughs> then we had the Mexican last night. I mean, we just eat. I don't know why I'm talking about that. Why am I even talking about that? <laughs> but I, I made a point to him as we're talking in between restaurants. <laughs> He'll get the mic later. <laughs> and... I said to him, I said, the thing that every single one of us as Christians should fear, listen to me, the thing that every single one of us should fear is the fact that one day, because we all are, listen to me, every single one of us, every single one of us, we're going to stand before God. Listen to me very closely. This is how important this is. One day, every single one of us are going to stand before God and give an account of our life. We're going to give an account of the things he told us to do that we didn't do or that we did. Everything. You're going to give an account of how you study the Bible. You're going to give an account of your church service. Well, that caused you to become Presbyterian because it went quiet in this place. But <laughs> I've never heard that. What do you mean I'm going to give an account of my church service? Well, because everything that God tells us to do, we're going to give an account of. He told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, didn't he? How I many of that's, that's not a suggestion? 
as a commandment. He told us to study his word, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of God. That's not a suggestion, is it? So we're going to stand before God and give an account of it. But you know what he also said and wasn't it's not a suggestion? He said, don't forsake the gathering together of yourselves. So we're going to stand before God. He told us to gather together. He, t- he said to us, don't forsake it. Well, guess what? When we stand before him, we're going to give an account of everything that's in here that he told us to do. And guess what? He told us, don't forsake the gathering together of ourselves. So we're going to stand before God and give an account. Amen? But the thing I told Pastor Kevin, the thing that every Christian should fear is that you stand before God successful in doing what you wanted to do, not what he wanted you to do. Because it means nothing. The only thing that means anything is that you do what God has told you to do and that you fulfill the plan of God that he has for you. Let me tell you something. Every single one of you that are here, God has a plan for you. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how bad you think you've messed up and how many mistakes you think you've made. God's plan is not, listen to me, God's plan cannot be stopped. It cannot be taken away. We'll stand before him and we'll give an account of it. But let me tell you something right now. You are going to walk in the plan that he has for your life. And I promise you this. The plan that God has for your life is far superior, far greater than the plan that you got for you. Amen. See, your plan will cause you just to barely get by. God's plan will cause you to be blessed coming in and blessed going out. God's plan will cause you to be to the place to where everything you touch is blessed. God's plan will cause you to come to the place to where he'll open up his treasure unto you. He'll command his blessing upon you. Listen, I want God's commanded blessing, not what I can do for myself, but what he comes from him. Amen? And that only comes by our obedience to what his purpose is. That's why I love the fact that Pastor took the time to teach on the subject of giving. Because that's where the starts. Because I promise you right now, you'll never, you'll, you'll, you, you, you won't be blessed by being stingy. Because that's totally unscriptural. Amen? Now listen to me. You won't be blessed by being stingy. Okay, let me come over to this section. I think this is the revival section. You won't be blessed by being stingy. Amen? Well, Brother Richard, I don't have anything. and uh, He gives seed to the sower. That's not what I was talking about. How many of you know what it really means? I'll come back tomorrow and I'll tell you. Now, the Bible says he gives seed to the sower. He doesn't, listen, that, doesn't mean he gives, he, that doesn't mean he gives money to people that don't have no money. No, he gives money... He gives seed to the sower. That means the person who is a sower, the person that gives, that's who the seed comes to. Hello, come on. He gives seed to the sower. What is a sower? A, somebody is, a, a sower is somebody that releases. A, a sower is somebody that gives. Amen? What's a stingy person? A stingy person is somebody that keeps for themselves and hoards for themselves. That's why they got nothing. Amen? Come on. I, I promise you, by the end of the week, you're going to be Pentecostal. I promise you. You're going to be Pentecostal by the end of the week. Glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Let's get back. I, I, go, with me to, go with me to the book of Isaiah. Glory to the Lord. Don't worry about the time. That means nothing. Amen? Well, but now you listen to some churches. Well, you don't keep them over an hour because people won't sit over an hour. Well, that's not true. People go sit and watch football for four hours. People go sit and watch a football game for four hours. People go sit and watch soccer for however long it takes. How long is a soccer game usually? Two hours? I'm not a soccer person. Pastor Kevin's trying to convert me. But it was fun watching it with him yesterday in between restaurants. 
<laughs> oh my. <laughs> oh, that's funny right there. I promise you. <laughs> Hallelujah. And uh I mean football season is about ready to start here soon. What is it? I don't follow football. What is it? August, September, whatever it is. And you know what's amazing about it? Is that <clears throat> people that are not radical are going to become radical. People that are not people that are stingy are all of a sudden they're not going to be stingy. And they're going to worship men running around throwing a ball around. And they're going to sit there for four hours. I mean, people that are not morning people are going to become morning people. Because they're going to get up in the morning and they're going to go and, and watch their favorite team and they're going to tailgate and they're going to, they're going to spend hours tailgating before the game even starts. Then, then they're going to get into the game and they're going, to, they're going to be loud and they're going to scream and they're going to shout. And that's over something that means absolutely nothing. Then you got the radical worshipers. You know what the radical worshipers? The radical worshipers, they're the ones who take their shirts off and paint their chest. They're the radical ones. They're the ones that they're, they're, they're there in the morning. I mean, they're, they're there when it's, listen, they're radical they got their shirt off, they paint their chest, and it's zero degrees outside. You can see their breath. Those are the radical worshipers. Then, then, then they know what they do? Then they vote for their taxes to be raised so that their team that only plays 16 games a year that their team can have a brand new house. Hello. And they, they want their taxes raised so that their team can have a brand new house. And their idols are wicked men. And then they brag about it. Ooh, we get a new house. We're getting a new stadium. No, I'm serious. Why can't we be that way with church? Then, no, wait. Let's take it in a step further. Then they celebrate because their quarterback gets the $100 million deal. Ooh, look at it. Look at Ooh, look at Look at He drove up in a Phantom Rolls Royce. That's a $450,000. Ooh, he deserves it. But then they complain because the pastor drives up in a brand new smart car. <laughs> or, or whatever, a new truck or whatever. Don't buy Sister Veronica. Don't buy Pastor Veronica a smart car. I mean, <laughs> I mean, no, honestly, the pastor gets a brand new car, a brand new truck, and it doesn't matter what it is. Who cares? He's the pastor. He should have the best, just like you should have the best. But isn't it amazing? They want to complain now because the pastor drives up in a brand new car, but they celebrate the stupid quarterback that they don't even know drives up in a $400,000 car. Ooh, he deserves it. Hello, come on. Are we hitting home here this morning? But yet, when they come to church, you know, listen, if you study body language, I like body language. I'm a body language guy. If you study body language, this means you're closed off and not interested. That means you disengaged. <laughs> I saw people. <laughs> now, now, now people want to do like that and they're fighting. No. You know, when I was in, I'm going to get into Isaiah here in a second, but when when I was <laughs> when I was in Israel this this was last year 
I was in Israel last year, and we, we got to go to cave four where the book of Isaiah was found. You know, they only found it, the Dead Sea Scroll, they only found the book of Isaiah like 40, 50 years ago. And they found it because a shepherd boy, because there's tons of caves down by the Dead Sea, a shepherd boy was throwing rocks into the cave, and he, he threw a rock in cave four, and he heard, it, he heard this crash. He climbs into the cave and finds the Dead Sea Scrolls, the book of Isaiah. Do you know when they, when they, when they examined the book of Isaiah to the, to, the, to the Bible, do you know it was 97% accurate? So on that trip, some of our God, two of our gods, there was two gods, and we come to Caesarea Philippi. Remember, Jesus hung on the cross, and Jesus said, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. Why? Because Jesus knew exactly why he came. The Bible says, before the very foundations of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. So these, these two gods, they, 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 we go to Caesarea Philippi. You know when Jesus said to the disciples, who do men say I am? Some say you're the prophet. Some say you're, you know, you're Elijah. Elijah, come back. You know, Peter said well, you're, you're, you're the son of God. Blessed are you, Simon, bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed to you, but my Father which is in heaven. You know when Jesus said that? So you know what the two gods said? The two gods said this. Well, now when Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say I am? Jesus asked that question because he was going through a time of confusion in his life. And he needed reassurance from his disciples who he was. That's what he said. Listen, let me tell you something. There was a hundred preachers. I was one of them. There was a hundred preachers on that tour. That's the wrong thing to say to a hundred preachers. And Pastor, and Pastor Rodney Howard Brown, he beat us all to it. He jumped up. He said, absolutely not. Jesus knew exactly who he was. When he was 12 years old, he was, he, he was in the temple. He was in the temple at 12 years old, and when his parents came back for him, he said, don't you know that I'm about my father's business? He knew exactly why he came. He knew exactly who he was. So the, so the two guides went, and they went and sit, they went and sat down and folded their arms and crossed their legs like this. That means you're disengaged. You're not interested. <laughs> but here in Isaiah, listen what verse 1 says. So powerful. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Say that with me. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now I want you to understand. The arm of the Lord represents the power of God. But I want you to notice that in this same verse, I, it's not a coincidence. God himself put it in here. Because like I said to the church, the, 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 the first service this morning, understand something. This is not a book about somebody. This book is somebody. This is God. It's the word of God. Every single word is alive. Every single word is impregnated with the very life of God. Amen. And he said, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Notice that he puts believing and the power of God in the same verse. Why? Because when you believe... The power of God can be manifested. Well, I just don't know if I believe that. Well, actually, do you realize something? Let me, tell you, let me share something about belief. Do you know believing is a choice? So when people say, I don't believe, no, stop right there. You choose not to believe. Because belief is a choice. I was on the airplane one time with some atheist. And actually, I said to her, she said, I'm an atheist. I said, what's that? So there's, there's no such thing as an atheist. First off, because an atheist can't prove there's no God. Hello, come on. 
And I said to her, I said, ma'am, I said, the, actually, the reality is you choose to believe there's no God because belief is a choice. Amen? Just like when I said, this is going to be the last week that you ever, that you ever, that you ever, in the name of Jesus, this is the last week that you ever go through like. You've got you to choose to believe that or not. This is the last week in the name of Jesus that you suffer and you go through sickness and disease in your body. You choose to believe that or not. Come on. This is a week that you rise up and find out who you are, that you're the church of the living God. That's a belief. You, gotta, you choose to believe it or not. Amen. When pastor was teaching on the subject of giving, when he took, well, taking up the church tithes and offerings, listen, what, what he was saying, you, you got to make a decision. Either you believe it, what he's saying, or you don't. What I'm preaching to you right now, either you choose to believe it or you choose to not believe. Belief is a choice. So when people say, well, I don't believe that, no, they've chose not to believe it. Amen. And he said, who hath believed our report? Notice he said who, because not everybody does. Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? That means manifested. There's only a few times in the word of God do you talk, does he talk about his arm being manifested. The Bible talks a lot, it talks a lot about his hand. talks about the arm. talks about his hand. The Bible talks about, I mean, all throughout the scriptures, you see that the hand of the Lord came upon the prophets. And when the hand of the Lord came upon the prophets, they begin to prophesy. You see the arm of the Lord a few times. You see the hand of God. But you know what the Bible says? Do you know that the Bible says that, that Jesus cast out devils by the finger of God? That's what it says. So you, you, you know what that means? That means... Jesus come up to a demon-possessed person. Look what he did. Think about it. The finger of God. That's what he can't, the Bible says it. Look at he cast out devils by the finger of God. He, I mean, he healed. Listen, he raised the dead by the finger of God. That's all it took. Think about it. That's all it took for the dead to be raised, for the sick to be healed, for demons to cast. Just the finger. It's all it takes. The finger. The finger. Now, the right finger. <laughs> you got to say that these days. <laughs> you don't know, the right one. <laughs> the finger of God. He cast out demons by the finger of God. Finger. When he stood in front of Lazarus' tomb, and Lazarus had been dead for four days. Remember, Mars and Mary said, if you'd have come first day, second day, third, you could have raised him, but now he's been dead four days. Now he stinks. Meaning his flesh has already begun to rot away. You, what are you thinking? You, 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 listen to me. You, that meant nothing. Because we're talking about God. He stood in front of the tomb. His finger did it. He didn't get into his arm. It's the finger. He stood in front of the tomb. Lazarus! Sorry, I didn't mean to scare you, sir. He goes like this. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. He did. He didn't. <laughs> Actually, another people jumped. Lazarus. What did he say? Come forth. You know why he said Lazarus come forth? Because if he had just stood in front of the grave and said, come forth, then all the dead would have come. He had to get specific. And I can show you scripture. He had to get specific. Lazarus, come forth. Next thing you know, here comes Lazarus. He comes, and he's wrapped up in grave clothes. 
I'm telling you in the name of Jesus, I can see in the Holy Ghost, there's some of you here that you've come, you've wrapped up in grave clothes. But the very thing that Jesus said, loose him and let him go. I'm telling you in the name of Jesus this week, no more grave clothes. You're going to be loose and let go. In the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Duh. I mean, oh, just the very mention of that name, Jesus. Oh, it changes the very atmosphere, changes the very particles in the air. Jesus. There's no name like the name. Only the name of Jesus causes cancer to leave the bodies. Only the name of Jesus causes demons to leave. Only the name of Jesus causes darkness to flee. The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Come on, the name of Jesus. The very one who you and I have come this morning here to worship, here to honor. We've come to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one that was slain before the very foundations of the world, the King of glory, and his name is Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I tell you, I, I, I agree with Pastor Kevin. I mean, it's great having this new platform, but I just had to get down, Pastor Kevin. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, he says that's a me problem. This is my service. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. To whom? Who has believed? Our report. How many of you here believe the report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Look what he goes on to say. He says here, let's just jump down to verse 3. Well, verse, we'll, we'll, yeah, verse 3. He says, verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. See, this is part of, it is finished. That's why you have to understand the power of those three words. It is finished. This is part of it. He says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Understand something. Healing is not a future promise. Healing is already established act by the king of kings. It's something that's already been done. You're not going to be healed. You are healed. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid, listen to this, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Oh, just verse 7 we can spend so much time on. But I want you to know something. On the cross... Seven words were, in, were uttered from the king of glory, the lamb of God that was slain. It is finished. But I want you to know something, that his suffering started way before the cross. His suffering started before the scourging. Actually, his suffering started in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's why I titled this message from the cross to Pentecost. Because, understand something. Here's the thing that I see that most Christians, 
most Christians fail to understand the very centerpiece of Christianity. And if you don't have a rock foundation, nothing's going to work. His suffering started really in the garden. I mean, we, we can read Matthew 26 for time's sake or not, but you just look in the garden. I mean, especially the Amplified brings it out. I mean, do you realize that Je the sorrow that Jesus bore? Do you realize that Jesus became depressed? Do you realize that he became so, so far, sorrowfully unto death? And most people think that Jesus was in the garden praying. Listen to me. Most people were think that Jesus was in the garden praying to live. But that's not the case. No, actually, let me say it to the way. Most people was praying. Most people think Jesus was in the garden praying so that he can handle it. So that he can bear the sins of mankind. But that's not actually why he's praying. Do you understand the pressure that Jesus, the Lamb of God, because he was 100% the Son of God, but he was also 100% the Son of Man. Understand, do you understand what went on with his flesh? Do you understand what Jesus was going through? Do you understand what he was facing? Do you understand the pressure? So much so that the Bible says that he sweat drops of blood. Because the Lamb of God, who is going to take on the sins of mankind, God was going to lay mankind's iniquity on him. He who knew no sin became sin. And yet, he's in the garden praying. You know why he was in the garden praying? Because listen to me. Because if Jesus would have died in the garden, there would have been no redemption for you and I. If Jesus would have died in the garden, there would have been no redemption for you. There would have been no redemption for me. We could not declare ourselves the redeemed of the Lord. He was praying to live so that he could be the sacrificial lamb of God led to the slaughter. Because here's the reality. I read verse 7 to you in Isaiah 53. He could have opened his mouth. There's a reason why the Bible says twice in one verse that he opened not his mouth. You know why? Because he was the Lamb of God. He was righteous. And if he would have opened his mouth, God, because he's a just God, God would have delivered him. But the Bible says twice in one verse that he opened not his mouth. Why? So that he could be sacrificed. So that he could bear our sickness, bear our disease, bear our pain, bear our poverty, bear our iniquities. So that he could take it. Why? So that you and I could have his life. I read here, just give me a few more minutes. I read here, people laughing at that. <laughs> I read here just not long ago of a, what do they call it? What do you call it when you go through, you go to, you go to college and you go get in the fraternity and you got to go through some, huh? Initiation, yeah. Here's, but there's another word for it. Hazing, that's it. Who goes through this 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 kid? This true story. This kid went through this hazing. And what what this fraternity did to this young kid, 18, 19 year old boy, is they tied him up, put a mask over his head, and put him in the back of a trunk. This was the hazing. And they drove him around the city and the country, and they would take they'd take you know curves real fast and go over bumps and speed bumps and. You know, they just tried the purpose of throwing him around in the trunk while he's tied up and uh, blindfolded. So they take him out to the country. I'm just giving you an example of just exactly what it was like for Jesus in the garden. This man was just being hazed, but Jesus was taken upon the sin of mankind. Past, present, and future. That's why he, had, that's why he prayed to live. 
Because if he had died, there'd have been no redemption. Those people die. Those people die every day because the, it, it, because the pressures of life overcome them. Those people take take them. They kill themselves because of the pressures of life. Kate Spade, the famous purse designer, just killed herself just recently because of the pressures of life, and she went right to hell. Same with Robin Williams. He killed himself. Had everything in the world. Had all the money in the world, and he killed himself. Went right to hell. So they, they took this kid after they drove him around. Pastor, they took him out to the country. They took him out of the trunk. And they took and they take and they tie him to a railroad track. And when they came back to get him a few hours later, this young teenage boy was dead. Not because the train ran over him, because the train didn't run over him. See, what this boy didn't know is that there was two sets of tracks. My brother works for the railroad, so I know. There's, there's two sets of tracks. There was a live set and a dead set. And what the, what, the, what the fraternity did, they tied the boy up to the dead set of tracks. So the, actually the train went right by him. But yet they come back and he's dead. You know why he was dead? His heart exploded. Why? Because he was, he was laying there tied up blindfolded on the track. He hears the train coming. He doesn't know that he's on a dead set of tracks. He hears the train coming, and the, the emotion, the stress on his body and mind, the fact that he's about ready to be run over by a train, killed him. And that's the very thing that Jesus was going through in the garden. And that's why he prayed to live. Why? He prayed to live because he saw you. And he saw me. So that we could be one with the Father again. So that we wouldn't go to hell. Hell's a real place. Hell, your, your flesh constantly just melts off you. Worms eat you up. I mean, you really want to talk about hell? It's hell. Yet he came and gave his life so that you and I wouldn't have to go to hell. So that you and I could be one with the Father to have his life, to have his nature. That's why God's, listen to me, that's why God's more concerned with you having a relationship with him more than he's concerned about the things you do for him. Because Christianity is a relationship, it's not a religion. And yet, you know what happened? And he prayed through. You know what that term, that's a term that you don't hear much anymore in, 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 in Christian circles and churches anymore. You don't hear the term praying through. You don't even hear it praying through in, in many Pentecostal churches anymore. But, but basically, you can say Jesus prayed through in the garden. That means, you know what praying through means? I mean, we need to get back to that in the church. We need to get back to where the church has all-night prayer meetings. Amen? So when we bring our kids to church and they pray instead of going playing ball. Because we're just, remember I said at the very beginning, train up your child in the way he should go. That's part of it. You want to see what happens when he opens his mouth? He prayed through. comes out of the garden, and guess what? The Bible says that 600 mighty warriors, 600 mighty Roman soldiers come to get him. 600. They didn't send 20. Obviously, they knew something. Listen to me. Obviously, they knew something. Because if he was just a man, they'd have sent 10, 15, 20. But they sent 600.
hundred. Listen, these was, were not weekend warriors. These were mighty Roman soldiers. These were warriors. These were men of war. These were men of death. They were kill people. Then they sent 600 of them for one man. We seek Jesus. Jesus said, I am. He didn't say I am. He, the King James Bible has he emphasized, meaning the King James Bible would make you think that he said, I am he. That's not what he said. He said, I am. The same I am that spoke out of the bush when Moses stood before a bush that wouldn't burn. And Moses was to ask, who am I to say that sent me? I am that I am. The same I am that spoke through a burning bush is now in the garden. I am. And you want to know how much power was in his words? There was so much power in his words. When he opened up his mouth, 600 mighty warriors went to the ground. And lift a hand, just his words, just the Lamb of God opening up his mouth. There was so much life, there was so much power in his words that the very, listen, 600 men could even stand it. But you know what the reality is? That same power, that same power, that same power, that same life is in you. That same power, that same life, that same authority is in the church, the body of Christ. That's why he has not called the church just to barely get by. He has called us to rule. He's called us to reign. He's called us to advance his kingdom. He didn't leave us powerless. He gave us power. And listen to me. When that, the reason why the Bible talks about the arm of the Lord here in Isaiah 53 because when God raised Jesus up. He had to. Because when he raised him up, he didn't just raise him up. He raised you and I up with him. And it took the arm of God. It took the arm of God to do it. Amen. You look at these words. Man, I'm running out of time. You look at these words. You look at all the words that despised, rejected, sorrows, griefs, smitten. Listen, smitten of God and afflicted. You just look at the words used. Why? Because the very ones that he came to redeem did not know the very ones that sent him to the scourge, the very ones that sent him to the cross, did not know that the Lamb of God, that the blood covenant God, that Jehovah, the Lamb of God, Yahweh was in their midst and they didn't even know it. The God of the covenant was in their midst and they didn't even know it. The God that has no beginning and has no end. The God that with his breath, formed the stars and the galaxies, and he named each one. We're talking about God. The very one who caused water to come out of a rock. The very one to put a coin in a fish's mouth. That's our Father. That's our God. And we are one with Him. We are in His kingdom. That's why we don't live like the world lives. We don't think like the world thinks. We don't talk like the world talks. Why? Because we are the church. We are the redeemed of the Lord. We got a song that the angels can't even sing. Glory to God. And they took the Lamb of God at 33 years old. Stripped him naked. I say naked. 
stripped and naked. You're going to learn two words today, wash and naked. Stripped and naked. Tied him about, pull about two foot. And they stretched his arms out. They stretched his legs out. They stretched him. Why? Because when those two Roman soldiers simultaneously began to whip him, he couldn't wiggle or move. And the Bible says that he was wounded for our transgressions, that he was bruised for our iniquities, that the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Listen, you're not going to be healed. You are. You're not going to be blessed. You are. You're not going to be victorious. You are. Glory, glory. 39 times. Do you know what the scourging was? Listen to me. The scourging was so horrific, the death that the Lamb of God, the very one that you've come here this morning to worship, The scourging was so horrific that the Bible says after 39 stripes, listen, first off, the people, people would faint because the torture that was behind those scourges, the very, listen, just lifting them up, people would pass out and faint. Why? Because they knew what was on the other end of it. And the Bible says in the book of Psalms, the Bible says Jesus said his body was so mutilated. Forget about Hollywood. Hollywood marks anything Christianity. Hollywood marks anything God. And it's a mockery for Hollywood to have Jesus hanging on a cross with just a few strands of blood coming down his face. That's a mockery to the Lamb of God. Because the Bible says, Jesus said, I could see every one of my bones. The Bible says that his body was so mutilated, it was as though a farmer plowed his back. That's what the Bible says. Why? That's why, that's why the Bible, in Galatians chapter 3, that it becomes so real, Father. Christ has redeemed us. Christ has redeemed you. He took your sickness. He took your cancer. He took your addiction. Understand, he took it all. He took it. It's not yours. It's a lie from hell to say that it's yours. It's a lie from hell for you to believe that it's yours. It's a lie from hell. He took it. He took your disease. He took your poverty. He took your cancer. He took it all. He took your sin. He took it all. And then after they mutilated his body, they nailed him to a cross. They made him carry his own cross. The Bible says you couldn't even recognize him. You didn't know who, who it was. It was a, you didn't know you didn't not. That's how mutilated his whole body was. Listen to me. That's why the Bible, listen, we are not healed by the blood of Jesus. We are healed by his stripes. The Bible didn't say by his blood we're healed. The Bible says by his stripes. We're healed. That's why don't ever. You, 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 it's contrary to the word of God. Don't you don't ever. Well, I'm sick. That's contrary to the word of God. Well, you know, I just don't know if I ever have anything. I must be poor. 
That's contrary to the Word of God. And not only is it contrary to the Word of God, you're speaking it into existence. Because you know how powerful words are? Words are so powerful that you're only allowed to see what you say. And they laid the Lamb of God and they nailed him to a cross. And for six hours the Lamb of God hung on the cross. And he said seven things. And the last thing he said, it is finished. And then he goes to hell. And then God rose up his sleigh. And the whole arm of God reaches down. Brings him up out of hell. Raised him out of hell. But when he raised him, he raised you and I. If you want to know what's next, come tonight. From, from the cross to Pentecost. And the Bible says, and I'll give you a little hint. The Bible says that the temple was torn from top to the bottom. That means that God. You know what that means? That means God took it. And he moved out. And one last thing, and we'll close. Listen to me. Jesus did not leave heaven, come to this earth, be scourged, be nailed to a cross, go to hell, be raised from the dead for you and I to live in hell on our way to heaven. To live sick, to live poor on our way to heaven. He came to give us his life. And to give us his life more abundantly. And that's why you can say, I am a brand new creation. Because only Christianity... Islam doesn't do it. Buddhism doesn't do it. No other religion does it. Only Christianity changes the very nature of its followers. No other religion does it. That's why all things, all things are passed away. And you have become a brand new creation and I'll say one more thing let me just give you insight how God sees you you want to know how God sees you God doesn't see you sick God doesn't see you poor God sees us through the work of redemption so when God looks at you he sees you victorious he sees you blessed. He sees you healed. Why? Because he sees us through the work of his son. That's why the Bible says, you can really say it this way, God said to us through Paul, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For cursed is he who hangs on a tree. You are the redeemed of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I just want every head bowed, every eye closed.